Luke. We'll be reading Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I'll read verse 19. You join me on verse 20 and read every other verse with me. That's Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest the good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Read verse 31 with me, please. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, Lord, and thank you for your goodness to us. Lord, thank you for the good day that we've already had. Lord, thank you for the, the powerful and poignant message that we heard this morning, Lord. I pray that we would be a people that lets God be God. I thank you for that message. I pray, Father, that you would meet with us again tonight. Again, fill our pastor with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time, Lord. Please bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.
that to an old rugged cross he'd go, for who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave thee never, just be true. Got turned on and got a good crowd here tonight. The Phipps, you're still losing. <laughs> Used to it. Uh, we got. I'm not sure what's. Some of you got to move over here, uh, or we got to get Brother Phipps from deodorant. I'm not sure <laughs> what's going on, but uh, it's amazing. But the Smith boys are over there. Amen. I love your excitement, fellas. Okay. I told him that I went over there during the handshaking time. I said, I came over here to, to shake hands with the immovable two. You know, so they just, God bless you. You're a good boy. I'll tell you what, I got to, I, I harass them, but man, they have been an incredible help the last few weeks over here with this lawn. And I don't know if, you know, it, when you drive in here, uh, I never did it, so I'm not accusing you. You know, when I drove in here, I thought, oh, it looks nice. I didn't know what it takes to make it look nice. That's a big yard, folks. That is a big yard. It takes a lot of work, and uh, I've really enjoyed watching the boys work. And so it's just so much more fun that way. So um, I'm going to just start this out tonight with a word of prayer. Uh, it's, uh, I'm not sure why God puts certain things on a preacher's mind. I'm not sure why God puts certain things on my mind. Uh, but this he put on there uh, days ago, maybe a week ago, and, uh, and I just, it's just been there. Every time I think about Sunday night, it would, this is what was on my mind. And so I, I just have to ask, you know, the, believe that the Lord directs it, and so that's the direction I'm going to go tonight. And so I'll pray and we'll get started. But Father, I ask you please... Spirit of God, this is uh, not one of those easy messages to preach. It's a little bit hard for me, not because, uh, hopefully, not because it'd be hard for the people to listen to, but it's just hard for me to say it. Uh, 
Lord, I pray that you please guide my mind, my thoughts. Holy Spirit of God, I yield myself to thee. I need your presence. I need you to cleanse me from the top of my head, sole of my feet, and I need you to fill me, every portion, every fiber of my being. That, dear God, that we might be changed because of what said and done here tonight. Spirit of God, thank you for those that have come. Thank you for those that are here and, and, and with open hearts to, to hear the truth. But Spirit of God, we can do nothing without you. So we yield ourselves to thee. And please move through this room and Father, build a mighty hedge of protection around this place tonight as Satan would love to snatch away everything the moment it's said. God, I pray in the name of Christ that you will not allow that to happen. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. I won't read through them all again, but you see the story. It says there was a, there's many things about this, this passage, and a lot of people will discuss whether it's a parable or whether it's a true illustration. I'll give you a few things here in a, in a moment, but one of those Reasons I believe it's a true, it's an illustration, but it's, it's something where God uses truth to illustrate. Something that truly happened. One of the reasons is because he said there was a certain rich man. That means there's a specific. That's like saying the, not a. Not a rich man, the rich man. is a certain rich man. He's very descriptive about this rich man. He's clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously every day. And then there's a, watch this, a certain beggar. You know, God doesn't put anything in the Bible without a reason. But this is a certain beggar, a specific beggar. And then God names him. He's Lazarus. And we see that the rich man dies, Lazarus dies, and and they both go to their respective places. And the rich man immediately wakes up in hell, opens his eyes in hell. And the scripture says, the verse, latter part of verse 22, the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing, seeth Abraham afar off. Now that's, the one reason that, you know, that, that basically they'll give that, uh, you know, some people will say that they don't think this is really a story, it's a parable, because they don't believe that the Scripture ever says that you can see from one place to another place. But I, I, here's, you know, from hell to heaven. Uh, it, first of all, it doesn't say that they see, he sees everybody in heaven. He says he's, he's Abraham. Secondly, I'm always of the, of the opinion God can do whatever he wants to do. Anywhere, anytime, anyplace, anyhow. So, but this man cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. That must be some pretty intense torment if it just a tip of his finger dipped in water would help him. 
Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, likewise Lazarus receiveth things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And he said, but of course, verse 26, there's a great gulf fixed here, and, and uh, you can't pass between the two. And that's what God really makes clear, is that you once there is no second chance. There is no purgatory. You go to one or the other, and you're done. Then he said, I pray, therefore, Father, verse 27, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto them, they have Moses and the prophets, let, let them hear them. He said, they've already got the, the, the word of God at that time. He said, they've already got that. He said, uh, 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 they don't need you to come talk, talk to him. And, and eventually, of course, he's going to make a reference here, sort of a, a reference to what's going to take place later. And that's as he, he comes and he says in verse 31, and he said unto them, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. Watch this, though one rose from the dead. He's saying they're going to go, basically he's saying, look, Jesus is going to rise from the dead. They're not going to listen to him either. So you think that really they're going to listen to you? And so, I'm going to just really quickly give you three reasons that I believe this is a true story. First of all, that this true story, uh, uh, not a parable, I believe, because uh, Jesus, all the other parables that I can tell are, uh, are designated as parables. Parables. There's a, the, the sower and the seed, the, the farmer that prospers, the barren fig tree, the, the wedding feast. That's one of the reasons, because everything else is clearly a parable. And then the second is the story of the rich man Lazarus, as I said already, uses an actual name of a person, uh, which I know set, it, uh, set us uh, apart from all other parables. There's never another, a, a proper name used in the parable. And then number three, the, this particular story does not seem to fit the definition of a parable, which is the presentation of a spiritual truth using earthly illustrations. God doesn't use an earthly illustration. He just tells like it is. He talks about the eternal destination, and he doesn't use some earthly illustration to represent the eternal destination. And so to me, the facts are there that it's, this is a true story. So that's going to listen. This is really going to be a, a really short message, but a long illustration. But, but uh, uh, when I was at Memphis State, I, of course, played a little ball and then around athletes and and that type of thing for quite some time, and then involved in, you know, all the, the extracurricular things as, you know, the mascot for the basketball games and, and all those kind of things later on. And, and, uh, and so I got to know quite a few people. My brother Alex knew everybody. I, you know, he just, I, I, he still does. I mean, he knows everybody in, in the world that, that, that was ever born, I think, somehow or another. Uh, my older brother Alex is that way about everybody from Memphis State, everybody we ever went to school with. He knows where they are. He knows. My younger brother just knows everybody. I mean, he, that's because he talks to everything that moves. And so uh, me, I don't. Uh, you know, you say, why don't you? I've met all kinds of people. And you say, why don't you know them then? <laughs> I don't care. Uh, no, I just, no, I've just been too many places, too many people. It all got confusing to me. And so, um, now, but I got to know some people, and there was a, the, a guy that was a really good athlete. I'd gotten saved, gotten married, and, uh, and we were living out, uh, out there toward Cairo. At the time, we might have been living right out there in the country in a little cabin that we first moved into when we got married. 
uh, I'm a very romantic kind of guy. I moved my wife into a, a fishing cabin for our first year of marriage that had no heat. And so um, uh, there's some things I didn't think about when we moved in there. Uh, what I thought about was this $75 a month. And so, but uh, so we were living out there and my brother uh, had a Jeep and, uh, you know, one of those old rugged Jeeps. And, and so he liked to go mudding. Anybody know what mudding is? You know, he liked to go mudding, and and uh, and I couldn't afford. You know, I, if I was going to go mudding, it was going to be in in the 1965 pickup truck I bought from my uncle. And uh, I don't think it was it was going to mud from about here to the back door, and then it is going to be going stuck in. And so uh, uh, there was no mudding with that. But uh, so my brother had a Jeep, and a friend of ours had a Jeep that was from. Uh, Memphis State, and my cousin, Dennis, and those three guys were all really good friends. I knew, of course, my cousin and my brother, and, but I knew this other fella, but not nearly as well. And so, but they talked to me and said, hey, uh, a Sunday afternoon. Now, you have to understand, we are maybe just barely in church. Been married probably six months, something like that. So I'm kind of in church, but I, I don't know really much of anything at this point. And, uh, but, I'm, but I'm saved. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't describe all of that to you, but, but I'm saved. We got through, we went down to the fields down there in mud, and Jeeps are covered with mud, we're covered with mud. It was a, it was a great time, not sure exactly whose field we tore up, but uh, it was a great time. We had a lot of fun, we were going everywhere, and it was just an incredible time. It was on Sunday afternoon, uh, and so... We got back, and I don't know what time it was, you know, four or five o'clock. We got back. We're standing in the driveway of my mom and dad's house. Both Jeeps are there covered with mud. We're all covered with mud. We're all laughing about all the stuff that's gone on for the last couple of hours, and, and we're talking, and everybody's just having a great time. When a pressure started inside of me, the only way I can describe it, it was the, very similar to the pressure that if you, if you were like me, that you felt when God was convicting you about your condi lost condition. It was this, the pressure very similar to what I felt when that night when I trusted Christ as my Savior, right before there was like my chest was going to explode. Something was happening to me and I couldn't describe it. But I'm standing there with a smile on my face, joking and talking, when then all inside of me this pressure is building up. And I wish, I wish you could know how real it was. I felt like my chest was going to explode. And these words kept coming into my mind. And, and, and forgive me, but at this point in my life, I don't really know there is a Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you can understand that, but you can be saved and not know and have him living in there and not know it. But I didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. But I'm standing there and talking. I'm laughing. The whole thing's going on. And for probably 15 minutes, this incredible pressure is in my chest. And it keeps saying, tell him. And I'm not using I'm not using the fella's name by by choice because I'm back down in Memphis now and I'm not I'd never do that but but I but I kept it just God kept calling this man's name and kept saying to me tell him and I was doing this battle inside my heart and mind like you know like I'm saying tell him what and 
And, and all they kept coming is tell him what's happened to you. Tell him about Jesus. Tell him about what you did. Now, you have to understand, folks, I don't know there's a Holy Spirit, and I don't know how to tell anybody how to be saved. I don't know how to witness. But God wasn't saying to me, witness to him. God was saying, tell him what's happened to you. And it was like this incredible pressure, but I'll be honest with you, as I stood there, all I could do is I looked at them and looked at my, my brother and looked at my cousin and kept laughing with them. My mind was playing this war where I kept saying, oh, wait a minute, we're all athletes. I mean, we're all cool. He'll think I'm a fool. What do you mean tell him what happened to you? I don't even know what happened to me. How can I tell him? And I just fought this voice that was inside me saying, no, don't. And somebody's out here going, man, this guy's got voices in his head. <laughs> but it was there, and I'm not saying I heard an audible voice, but I, can, I don't know if you can understand what I'm saying, but it was real. And it was clear what God wanted me to do. But I, I'd never felt this before. I'd never understood this. I didn't know really what couldn't comprehend it. All I know is after about 15 minutes of this warfare going into my heart and mind, finally this fella said, hey man, I got to go. And he just kind of slapped my cousin on the back and said, I'll see you later, buddy. And he went and got in his Jeep. And as he started to drive up the driveway, the pressure released. And I can remember saying, good man, I'm glad that's gone. What in the world was that? Well, I'm here to testify to you that I do know who the Holy Spirit is now. And I know the Holy Spirit of God was trying to get me to witness to Him the best that I knew how. That was probably sometime in 1979. Over the next two, two and a half years, our lives changed incredibly. In January of 1982, God called me to, to go to Bible college, and I'd been called to preach, and, and I packed up and I went to Bible college, and I'll be honest with you, I never thought about that incident really anymore. It was gone. It was over. I was free of that the day that boy drove up. I was up at Bible college, and in about April of that year, I was working as a uh, plain clothes, what they call a plain clothes detective in a sporting goods store. I, I walked a catwalk about 10 foot off the ground, and I walked down, and I would all do for about 10, 12 hours a day on my off days and eight hours of other days. I would walk down this catwalk back and forth, looking through little two-way mirrors that went down each aisle with binoculars, trying to catch people shoplifting. It is amazing the things that you can see when people don't know you're looking. People do weird stuff. So I was walking back, and I was, I was almost going to tell you one of them, but man, that's a youth conference thing, not a <laughs> not church, because every woman in here will gag. But, the, uh, but I, I, was, I was just walking back and forth doing my job and you know, looking through the binoculars when the phone rang. Well, there at the place where I worked, since I was the only guy from the South that worked there, 
my nickname there, which they, everybody, I'm not sure they even knew my name because everybody there called me Bubba because they said everybody in the South is Bubba, right? And so I was Bubba. And so I get this uh, phone call and they, over the intercom, Bubba, you have a call. And I go over and I pick up the phone and think, man, a phone call? This is before cell phones. I'm just looking at the kids because they're like, there was a time before cell phones? Yes, yes. It really was. Back then we had a, two cans and a string. But, uh, but I went there and I grabbed the phone and, and man, I was just, who could be calling me? And I picked the phone and it was my mom on the phone. And my mom was crying. She said, son, and she called the boy's name. She said, he and the coach for the team that he was playing with and two other ball players went out duck hunting. And best I understand, remember, are somewhere on the backwaters, you know, the Mississippi River. And she said, you need to pray for him. He's, they're all four missing. They didn't come home. I shouldn't have done it. It's wrong, but I got angry. I got frustrated. And I said, Mom, they're okay. Just, they're okay. And you say, why'd you get angry? Because immediately, that day flashed back in my mind. Immediately, see, now I know what God was doing. And I jumped back two, two and a half years. And I was standing there while I'm on the phone. I was standing there back in that driveway again. And I said to mom, I said, they're okay. These are all athletes. They're okay. They're just, they're somewhere. They may be wet. They may be cold. They may be stranded, but they're okay. The next day, I'm back at work there after school, and my mom calls again, and she said, son, they found the coach and two of the ball players. They've all drowned. But they didn't find she called the boy's name. Again, I got a little frustrated. I said, he's okay. He's one of the best athletes I know. He's a, he's a strong guy. He's a, he's a capable guy. He's fine. He's okay. I said, just, just don't worry about it. It's okay. And I'm just, I'm frustrated. I know my mom had to be thinking, what's the matter with him? Why is he acting this way? But it's because I'm going this war in my mind that I, I, back two years ago, this situation that I was supposed to tell him what happened to me. And I don't know if it was later that day or if it was the next day. I really don't remember now, but I get the final phone call and my mom says they found him. It was about 30 feet from the bank that they had to finally start dragging and use the hooks. And they drug, snagged his body in eight foot deep water and pulled him in. When she told me that, I hung up the phone and I dropped to my knees and I started weeping uncontrollably. Because I suddenly knew if he had died without somebody telling him about Jesus, he was in hell. Now most of my Christian life, when I would hear somebody preaching about people in hell, 
Here's what I would hear preach. I heard a man one time say, he said, they're going to shake a bloody finger at you. They'll probably curse in you in hell right now because you didn't tell them. They would scream at you and they would hate you because you had a chance to tell them and you didn't tell them. And as I dropped to my knees, I felt like right now that boy, if he, if he died with nobody else ever told him and never the gospel never got to him, if he's in hell right now, he's in hell, he's screaming my name, he's screaming in agony and with a bloody, a burning body and fingers, he's screaming at me, you let me go to hell. And I'll be honest with you, it, it is motivational preaching. But through the Word of God, I found something. You see, I found that that's not, I don't believe what he would do. You see, I believe this is a real story. It really happened. And here's what we've got to understand. God gave one man. Truthfully, God allowed this lost man, this rich man, to do for all of eternity what he was asking to do personally. You see, he said, let me go to my brothers. Abraham said, he won't believe you if I let you go, which Abraham didn't have the power to do out of belief. See, God said, I'm going to let one man speak from hell. And when I came to realize that if right now, if there was a portal of hell, a doorway of hell, a window of hell were to open up at this moment, I don't believe you'd hear a lot of people in hell screaming and cussing people that didn't tell them. Because I believe God gives us an example of what they would do. Because he did it once. And you see, I believe right now, if a window of hell were to be somehow opened up, and that young man was able to speak, here's what I believe happened in hell. I believe it all grew silent. How could you even hear this man among all the screams of hell? How could you even hear him with all the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth? Can I tell you what happened? I believe all of hell gritted their teeth for a moment because one has an opportunity to speak. So everybody grows silent in the intense pain they're in. They bite their tongues to keep from screaming. So this one man could be heard, and you know what he says? Go tell my family. He doesn't scream at anybody. You 
You say, Brother Hooker, is this about my family again? No. You see, in hell, every family in this world is represented. And if they could speak what they really want is for we who are living and know the truth. They know we failed them. But they don't want us to fail anyone else. The most amazing thing to me is this. The people in hell want people to be saved more than most Christians do. I believe God's blessing this church. And we keep going and people keep coming, but can I tell you, the moment, the visitation, the moment becomes ritualistic. The moment we're just going through the motions. The moment the church gets to the point where let somebody else go and do it. And, and watch this now. I'm not talking about just Saturday when we meet or when school starts Wednesday afternoon for the for the school. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about we meet people every day of our lives everywhere. And I've had a driving force and I've failed so many times and I know that there's no telling how many people that are in hell right now that that honestly could shake their fist at me because I've failed, because the Spirit of God opened a door and maybe I didn't go through it, or, or God prompted my heart and said, speak to them, but, but I was too much of a rush, or, I was, or, or maybe I was in a situation I might be embarrassed. Or, and, and as the years have gone by, I've tried to, for those to be less and less and, and just say, dear God, I don't want one more to go to hell, and, and, and I don't want anyone in hell to be able to say that I should have or could have told them. And I understand that they're there. I understand that there's those people that I miss but I'm just telling you somehow we as a people if we're going to make a difference in a community in a nation uh, in a city here we've got to decide that wherever we go whatever we do wherever we work we've got to care as much about people going to heaven as the people in hell do This was just about a month after I started to work at this job. And I'm just wanting to say, I'm not saying this to motivate you to despair, but rather to make sure no one else will ever be able to say that you could have or should have talked to them. And I'd use it as a driving force ever since that day that God, I, I failed. God, I didn't understand, but that's no excuse. You told me, simply tell him what had happened to you. And I failed. I didn't do it, but dear God, help me. And through the next three and a half years at that job, 13 of the people I worked with got saved. Why? Because I said, I'm not going to let you, Kevin, tell me that, that I didn't tell you. 
shoes. So that big old uh, heavyweight boxing champion for Chicago, I stood with him toe-to-toe, and I told him, Kevin, I love you, and you got to know one day that you're going to die. And when you do, do you know you're going to go to heaven? And Kevin looked at me, that big old boy, and said, I don't know that, Bubba. And I said, you can, Kevin. And Kevin got saved, and man after man, and woman after woman trusted Christ. Why? Because I've decided I can't change the past, but I can let the past change me. And all I'm asking tonight is will you join me? There's not a one of us that can change the past. There's not a one of us can can go back and tell somebody that's already gone uh, how to be saved. We can't do it anymore. We can't change the past. But hey, please let the past change you. That was my decision. God, I can never go back there. And I can never go back to that place. Dear God, please help me. Let that past change me forever. Please. Let it change me forever. You say, what's the invitation tonight? I'm going to ask you to join me. That's all I'm trying to do. As imperfect as I am and with all the shortcomings and all the missed opportunities I've had, all I'm saying is, would we just decide, dear God, I don't know how maybe to witness, I don't know how to tell somebody, but Father, please help me do whatever you tell me to do. Carry a track in your pocket. You know what? Anybody here can do that. You know what, Randy? You can just keep inviting people here. And let the old bald-headed guy tell them something. Because if something happens to one of your friends, there's one thing that you're going to want to know when you stand. And you walk by as I went today to another funeral or another viewing. But as you stand there, you can know I'm hurting I'm brokenhearted, but God, you know my heart. I did all I knew to do. That's all God asked for. There's too many, too many in hell right now, and I believe if that window opened up, they would scream, please go tell them. Please go tell them. Father, I pray that you bless.